Well, Jason, uh, you know the Minimalist Podcast. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They do this thing where they talk about things that have added value in their life. Spark joy. Spark joy, as Marie Kondo <laughs> would say. Uh, so I did something for the very first time, what? and it actually added some value to my life. I went to the Concorva, Corcovia, whatever, however you pronounce it, Salt Spa in Grand Blank, Michigan. Ooh. And my wife had a coupon, so we did a little date uh, there. We spent 50 bucks, and we did a salt bath foot detox. And it was really funny because I've never been to a spa. I don't do spas. And I walk into this place, and it's playing very soothing music. It almost sounded like the music. I don't know how well you remember the movie Top Gun. It sounded like the music that they play in Top Gun when Goose dies, and that's all I could think about. I'm like, man, my friend Goose is dead. Thanks a lot for reminding me, Salt Spa people. But we did the foot. Uh, we we go in and like so we're we're doing like the baseline package, this foot detox thing, because you could do a bunch of different things while you're there. But we did the cheapest thing because we don't have a ton of money, and so we did the cheapest thing that we could. But we still got like the full spa experience. Like they gave me a robe, which I came out in the robe just over my clothes. Like in other like Shauna, she's like I don't know if she I think she might have been naked under there. Like, because the robes are, like, soft and, like, supposed to, like, rub up against your skin and be soothing and exfoliating the skin or whatever. And I'm like, no, I need to keep my pocket knife on me and (laughs) my jeans on me just in case. And I realized... you in full clothing with a robe over it. (laughs) And they, like, the lady kept bringing out sandals for me to wear because, like, you have to wear sandals around there. And like none of them fit right, so I'm just like, man, I'll just throw my my Merrill hiking shoes back on. But it was just really weird. And my wife the whole entire time, so like you were, you could like people were bringing us like tea and water and little snacks, and I'm like, what is this? I have no idea what the hell is going on right now. And we sat in this place before we did the salt foot detox thing. They're like, you can sit in our tranquility lounge. Uh, if you'd like and so i'm sitting in the tranquility lounge and my wife is like falling asleep she's like just so relaxed and the entire time i'm like on edge like i'm like looking around i was gonna say were you able to relax no i was not able to relax i'm in a new place i'm wondering where the exits are and why why does this lady keep coming in and and bringing asking me if i want water like i'll get my own damn water thank you very much (laughs) but I did the foot detox thing, and they sit. They put us in these massage chairs, and then you you put your feet into this bath, and it's nice warm water, which was perfect because it was negative four outside again in Michigan, and all of a sudden the water starts to turn like orange and green and brown colored, and little black flecks were in my water. And according to the little pamphlet I was reading, it says that. If your body's doing that, it's detoxing the heavy metals. And I'm like, great, flint lead water. (laughs) You get all that lead water coming out of your feet. Which is good, apparently. (laughs) So, yeah, what what about you? Anything in your life adding some value? Well, Jess used to be a massage therapist. So I'm just going to... I'm all guitars, pedal boards, always adds value to me. I have a very minimalist setup, I feel. But to a lot of people, it's way more... (laughs) Than you need, um, but but playing off your spa thing, I cannot relax. 
I cannot relax. If somebody's trying to like give me a massage. I can't do it. I cannot relax. So your wife is a massage therapist, Lic- licensed? Not no, anymore. Not anymore. But that, I mean, was that was licensed. her job for for a handful of years there I until would, we had kids. I would, especially with this job that I have right now, I would take full advantage of that. She is phenomenal at it. She's really good. You could tell she's professionally trained. At the same time, she yells at me the whole time. Relax. You need to relax. Why have I not brought Shauna over here? Because Shauna has, so my wife has a slight case of scoliosis, so she often has back pain. She may need back surgery in the future, but she may not. Her, Her curve is not as bad, but she always constantly complains about her back. And the last thing I want to do after a 12-hour day is massage her back. So I'll just pay Jess to do it. Yeah, she doesn't have her table anymore. Dang it. That was one of those I things get when, when we table. were, you, you could get a hold of a table. I know, I know a guy. You just bring her down here on my workbench. <laughs> <laughs> it's really relaxing down here in the kill. But your wife is a derby girl on top of that. So I feel like Shauna. She could do some damage. But Shauna, like, Shauna wants to. Because she always tells me, she's like, yeah, I went to the massage place today and some weakling chick yeah. worked on me. And then she went, now we we know the massage, who to ask for when she wants a massage because this one lady just digs down. Yeah, oh. Jess can do that. I figured she could. Yeah. <laughs> but anyway, so value. We're talking about things that add value into our life. And there's nothing that has added more value into my life than knowing 100% how to interpret every passage of Scripture. (laughs) (laughs) Just throw out a random Bible verse. I know how to interpret it. Alex has got it. I got got it. it. Send your your questions to notyourpastorspodcast at gmail.com. I will answer all your Bible questions and interpret them correctly. Yeah, so idea for today's episode, I'm holding the ultimate heresy in my hands, Alex. In our circle of our, of people, my hands are warm. Hand. I'm holding this book, and my hands are warm, and they're getting warmer the longer I hold it. What is the Bible by Robert Timothy Bell? That's my hands burning. I don't know if his middle name is Timothy. It just sounds like it, it sounds flows to weather. RTB to, to RTB RTB. What's up? We gotta find out if it's Timothy now. Look now, it up. I got gifted this book from a fellow podcast. Okay. Michael from Inglorious Pastards, mm-hmm. who we've had on the show um, a handful of times. Yeah. We had all the pastors on way back in the day. Going <laughs> I can't back. believe we had them on. We had them on, yeah. They were, they were guesticles. And um, we had them on for a Halloween show. Yeah, we had Michael right. on for a Halloween show to tell some ghost stories. But he sent me this little gift through Amazon. Sent me a little note that says, Dearest Jason, you complete me. Your lover in Christ, Michael. <laughs> uh, he sent me this book to uh, expand my thinking. Thought okay. it would be interesting, and it was. And so now I feel like I'm really going to hell. Like, because you got something out of a Robert Bell book. Yeah. Wow. I also uh, used his official name, Robert. Yeah, I didn't Robert, just say Rob. Robert Timothy. Robert Timothy Bell. So. It sparked sparked an idea for another episode that you wanted to do. Yeah. And I was like, let's go for it, because I am really comfortable in interpreting the Bible. More comfortable. I'm just kidding, by the way. (laughs) There's still a lot of tech. There's still a lot of passages. I'm like, huh? What? But there's definitely been some some situations where 
maybe back in the day it would have been nice to have a little bit better uh, understanding of how to interpret the scriptures and that could maybe help some people down the road and also maybe help keep from hurting people yeah. down the road. So listen to two guys who aren't pastors share with you and help you how to interpret the Bible. This is not your pastors. Wait, what does that Bible verse mean again? Episode. So there is no better two people, I feel like, to interpret the Bible than two guys who are living in uh, Davison, Michigan, right now. Mm Mm-hmm. You and I, we have figured this thing out. Yeah. We have figured out a thousand-year-old book, thousands-of-year-old book, and how to properly read it and interpret it and tell everybody how to think about it, because we are not pastors. (laughs) That has opened us up to being able to... uh, Some people call it enlightenment. There's There's certain concepts that men of the cloth cannot... Because they're so entrenched, they get bogged down with the the ministries of life, if you will. I'm totally BSing everything right yeah. now. <laughs> what the heck do we know? We don't know everything. Oh. We are so we have some we have some ideas. We have some ways to maybe not interpret scripture. Like Jason, can you ever think of a time where you improperly interpreted a particular scripture passage thing? Yeah, we talk about it all the time. Oh, yeah. Uh, musical instruments. Boom. Um, musical instruments. It's, let's talk about that for a minute, how, how stupid it is, one. Well, I don't want to offend anybody, but it's dumb. Um, man. So, first of all, you cannot use musical instruments in the worship service. But you can use them all the rest of your life. So you already got another battle going on here. This is, you've made this rule. No musical instruments in worship. And here's what it starts affecting. What's worship? When is worship? What is worship? Well, worship then must only happen in that one magical hour on Sunday morning. Or when we gather together on a Wednesday night or a Sunday night. Mm-hmm. That's, that's the con- because I can clearly play my guitar any other time. So now we start looking at verses about worship. We're no longer looking about verses about playing music, which there are none in the New Testament. You won't find any instruments being played in the New Testament church. Which some would say. Until you get to Revelation and see the church in heaven. You could see church uh, instruments in the Old Testament, for sure. But keep with me. So that was under an old covenant. We're under a new covenant now. So, and under the new covenant, musical instruments are not authorized. Another word, another study topic, authorization. What is authorized worship? So now we're talking about musical instruments. We're talking about authority. We're talking about worship. We're talking about what is pleasing to God, um, and then you want to throw in there obedience. Are we obeying God? So now we're studying all these concepts. So now imagine we started with no musical instruments on Sunday morning. It's now weaved its way into um, authority, 
worship. It's, it's weaved its way into all these different things. So now when we start looking at those Bible verses, what's on the brain? M- musical instruments. No musical instruments. Or no, or no musical instruments. But that is the lens that we're viewing the text through. So you're starting off with a bad starting point is essentially what's going on. Yeah, and, and, what it, it, and it contaminates the rest of the thinking. It about, can, about it's, It doesn't just contaminate musical instruments or can we play musical instruments. It starts weaving its way into everything that we do. Um, everything that we read in the scriptures. We start viewing everything from this lens of can we or can't we have musical instruments. And then it ultimately boils it down to a heaven or hell issue. And thus, we have legalism, which is the ugly word that sneaks its way up into a lot of stuff. So musical instruments, uh, it's something I believed for a long time, something I no longer believe. Um, I am a heretic because of that. So we study heresy Mm -hmm. in light of musical instruments now. (laughs) Um, All that to illustrate a point, uh, the lens and how you approach the Bible has a big impact on what you pull out of the Bible. Yes, especially, you know, we you've mentioned that before, you mentioned the ultra conservative env- environment you you grew up in. Yeah. And how you had to kind of deconstruct some of that and it kind of was damaging in certain ways because you you would honestly look at a group of people and you'd be like those people are going to hell because of the way they're worshiping with their musical instruments. And there were certain times for me personally, I was like, man, those people think completely different than the way I think about that particular Bible passage. They're wrong. I'm right. Therefore, we have no dealings with one another, even though we would both claim Jesus as Lord. It's called division. And when you look at a list of sins, right up there with sexual immorality and jealousy and everything else... Division is one of those magic sinful words. Five divided by four. Mm -mm. Not the devil. The devil. Oh man! Speaking about division, is there no? Have you ever grown up in such a time that is so divisive? Not, not. I'm not talking about politically speaking. I'm talking about just within the church in general. Yeah, it's bad. Oh my lord! It's bad. I mean, I think some of the pol- the politics of our current day is kind of seeping in, and now people are getting, in the church specifically, are getting divided over that. But man, I think... Man, go back to our episode on Trump didn't win the election, Satan yes, did. Yes, clearly. Oh, my Lord. Um, yeah, I think the church is in an area of refinement. I think it's, I think God's going to blow it up the way we know it. I think what comes out on the other side is going to be what somebody could not conceive and it's going to be amazing Mm. because that's what the Lord is doing with his bride. He's going to eventually present it spotless, holy and blameless and perfect with, I mean, the church will be perfect. Um, it doesn't look like that right now. And it's, I mean, I was talking to somebody again today about that the high priestly prayer or the prayer of Jesus in John 17, where they are united in him and in God and are one. Yeah. And there is no division. Make them one just as we are one. Yeah. Like, oh man. Specifically praying for believers to not be divided. And that prayer has not been answered yet. Or at least it seems like it hasn't been answered. It will be one day. It will be. 
it will be. I have complete faith that it will be answered. But back to back to the lenses of which we view the text of the Bible. Um, I brought up musical instruments. That's just one way. When you could do it with anything, you could do it with Calvinism. You could do it with that, tulip. That was my thing. That so was, that was I used to think that I was theologically better than some people because I believed in Calvinism as as almost as if I reached a higher plane of thinking. Yeah, and therefore, like all oh, all those cute little people down there that don't believe in predestination, I feel sorry for you. Mm. I used to have that attitude, and I know that's bad. Okay, I don't think that way anymore, everybody. So just so everybody knows, I do not think that way anymore. That's why I I used to like say like Yeah, I'm a Calvinist. I never introduce myself as a Calvinist anymore. I am a follower of Jesus first, and whether you like John Calvin, you like. Uh, Jacob or Joseph? I always get his name mixed up. Jacob or Joseph Arminius, two twin brothers. Uh, whatever, maybe they're not twin brothers. And I can't remember. I can't Jacob remember which Timothy Arminius. <laughs> whatever camp you line up in, I don't care. At the end of the day, we have more in common because we believe in Jesus as Lord. That's the main thing that we try to get out of this podcast. We're gonna reach and all people from all different backgrounds. I don't want to necessarily project my background into somebody else's life. What I want to find is fellow believers in Jesus and unite with them in a way. I want to learn from people like, how do you see Jesus? What What's your perspective? Tell me more about Jesus from, from your angle. That's, that's what has always been one of the driving points for me out of this podcast. Mm. But you think of just TULIP in general, limited or unlimited atonement. Yeah, it's I'm like a, a child of divorce on that. Sometimes, you know, throughout the week, I'll hang out with unlimited atonement, and then on the weekends, I'm with limited atonement. <laughs> so, so p- just pick one, okay? Now, would, now it's so just say it's limited atonement, and yeah. then you start reading the Bible, and you start looking for keywords, you start looking for right. verses, right? That'll help you build that. But if your mind is set up, no, it's unlimited atonement. Then you start reading the Bible with that lens, right? Okay, and you start I see where you're going with this now. Verses, I see where you're going with this now. Um, is hell eternal? Is it eternal suffering, or is it annihilation? And Chris Date has some really good, very solidly biblical arguments that it's annihilation. Something I was not raised with; didn't even know it was a thing. I didn't know. I thought that was like a shut, closed thing in in the world of of Christians. Like, we all believe that there is an eternal hell. Yeah, you just assume. But we we read, when we approach the Bible, we already assume that. And it's really hard to get away from that. So we start seeing the verses line up, and we start building our argument. So what is that? Read the Bible deductively, not inductively? Is that what it is? Maybe I'm messing that up. Don't Uh, read it looking... Don't read it looking to confirm your maybe I get I'm back. Don't don't read the Bible to confirm your belief, but let it let it help you believe or something like that. I keep, I'm messing it up big time. I'm not sure I know the phrase. I I'm not. It but sounds anyway, really important to you. <laughs> it does because that, when I try and read the scriptures now, I'm trying to read it through a new lens and I know for me a pastor friend suggested it may be reading a different translation of the Bible, because sometimes we kind of get used to the verbiage and we miss and gloss over things. So reading it in a different translation. So like I recent, I didn't recently buy, but a year ago I bought 
I'm an ESV guy. I love the ESV. Preferably on a Sunday, I'm bringing an ESV with me to, to church. Seems like that's the agreed upon translation of it, all the non-denominational. So, but I, but, uh, I actually grew up with, or when I first was a believer, I had New King James. And then I switched over I had to New e- King James too. And I switched over to ESV. And now I'm kind of more into the American Standard, the NASB, New American Standard Bible, just because I wanted to read, especially through the Gospels, reread the Gospels with a fresh translation. It's not the words haven't changed, but the way the structure of the sentences has changed a little bit. So you kind of get something else out of it, or maybe another perspective on the, the verses that you've already memorized in, say, a different translation. So, boom. Yeah, I like the... Your thought. I like the NET, the net translation. It's, I've heard it's about pretty that good. one. It's got uh, good footnotes on why they chose words. But, man, you talking, you're talking about even, even the words and pronouns that we use. Like, uh, the ESV is more... Uh, gender inclusive than King James version or new King James version or or other translations. Yeah. Instead of saying brothers, men, him, it says they, um, it says brothers and sisters. It says things like that. It's more, it's more gender inclusive. Um, so how do we translate the Bible? I I was with a, um, Bible study group that I attend on Wednesday nights and we were gathered around the word. Um, and it, it was falling flat. Mm. The class, it just wasn't going anywhere. We were following a lesson. The lesson was kind of like, ah, this is really forcing something that into the text. That's not really there. And it was, did you call it out? There's been times we did the whole class called it out because we were trying to fit, um, our church mission into the narrative of Joseph from Genesis. Oh. And it was hard. And the lesson was really grasping at straws. I understand, you know, I'm not like knocking our church or anything. It was just, it was a bit of a stretch. It was really taking things out of context to... Ooh, you brought up a very important word, Jason. I'm sure we're going to dive into here in a second. Yeah. Finish your story. Um, but then I, I asked like, well, how do you guys interpret the Bible? And nobody had an answer. Uh, so the first thought that comes to my mind is, well, we should probably have an episode on that. Yeah. (laughs) On how to interpret the Bible. Not that we're going to give anybody the end all be all do it this way or you're wrong, but I'm hoping, I'm hoping you can listen to this and just get some helpful Tips? I don't know. Because, don't. He, so not only, so here's, we we bash ultra-conservative churches a lot on this, this podcast. Well, they're easy to. They're easy Alex. to, but there's also, I would say, more liberal-leaning churches who may be a little bit loose on interpretation, and it's kind of more whatever you feel, or it's more feelings-based. And I, again, I'm not knocking those either, but I'm just saying there needs to be some, you and I have lived by some some principles, some, some kind of like follows, like some things to follow and some things to at least get you started. Mm -hmm. So you don't fall to the ultra conservative or ultra liberal side. You kind of stay down the middle of the road. And that's where I personally would like to be because 
it seems like in the middle of the road, there's a little bit of space to kind of think and to figure things out as opposed to getting stuck to one side or the other. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Does that make any sense? Yeah, I don't like anything that just completely cuts off grace, and it happens on both sides. Yeah. Uh, it's very easy to demonize people. Um, it's very easy to assume. So let's demonize everyone. Yeah. Just get out do it on everybody. <laughs> um, so where do we start, Alex? You're picking up, you're picking up the Holy Scriptures, the word of our Lord. I, so like whenever I read, uh, so especially when I was, was going through some of the minor prophets, it, like to, cause I'm studying, I'm studying parts of the Bible that, you know, you don't usually, your pastor isn't like bringing up on a Sunday. Habakkuk. Yeah. Like when's the last time your, your pastor preached on Habakkuk or Zachariah or today like, actually is you bring it up. It's really weird. It must be the Holy Spirit. <laughs> did no, he really? No, he didn't. I'm just messing with you. <laughs> so like whenever I read, especially those passages, I will not, I actually will not read those books of the Bible until I first figure out the timeline the history behind it. Like what is going on as this is being written? So you're looking into some background. Yes, because the background is important. Background is important for almost everything you read in the Bible. Like what is happening during this time frame in history? Like one of the things that blew my mind is the plagues of Egypt, right? I didn't realize this until I read, I think it was a MacArthur book. So, Nobody crucify me, but I've read a couple MacArthur books. Oh, I've got some. So I was reading I read them all, Alex. MacArthur. I read Rob, Rob Bell, Bell and John MacArthur. <laughs> They're both sitting on my shelf. I keep them separate. One's though. on one shoulder and the other's on another shoulder. <laughs> but he was talking about how it the all the different plagues of Egypt were attacking these different gods of the Egyptians. Each plague is associated with a particular Egyptian god and I never thought about that, but it kind of makes more sense now why God did those, why God chose those plagues on Egypt, because he was asserting his dominance over the petty gods of the Egyptians and showing that I am the God of like everything. So you guys need to let my people go. Think about it this way too. Who, who are they enslaved by? Who are the Israelites enslaved by? Egypt. Okay. And now they're in the wilderness and they're writing their history book of their nation. And now you look at those plagues as the reference point of, no, our God is better than their gods. And you look at those plagues, and they can take on even a new meeting of where they came from, but comfort and peace of and a reminder, oh, yeah, our God is pretty good, even when we forget about him. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, we did some terrible things. Oh, yeah, look how God delivered us here. And constantly writing this narrative down of the things that really stand out about their God that other gods don't have. Right. That's, especially the Old Testament, that's like the bread and butter of the Bible. And that's one of the things that Rob Bell points out pretty well in his book is, okay, let's look at the time frame, let's look at what's going on in history, and let's look at how this weird Israelite God matches up with the other gods. What's different? What's unique? What does he do? Okay, these gods are warriors. These gods deliver people. These gods burn people down. These gods destroy things. 
but this God also loves people. Like, what is happening? Mm-hmm. This God sends himself to be amongst his people? It's really weird. It's really different. The other gods don't do that. Um, so, unique in that way. Right. But probably study tool number one, some sort of background commentary. And that's why I personally like MacArthur a lot is because he does a very good job, I think, of the history. And I'm a history nerd. Okay, I said that in the la- our, our previous episode. I really enjoy history. So for me, I won't even start reading a Bible text until I know roughly what's going on in history at this point. Like, where are we at? Like, so like it does, it makes a whole lot of sense. So another, another thing, whenever you read slavery in the New Testament or slave in the New Testament, it's doulos. It's the word doulos. And then you read about like, what slaves were like back then. It's not necessarily like how slaves were in, in the America, in America during the 19th century. There's a difference there. So it's kind of important to know what the historical and maybe some of even the cultural practices of that day in order for you to understand the text a little bit better. Yeah. I like William Barclay, his commentaries cause they're cheaper and affordable and, from my reference point of reading both him and MacArthur, MacArthur was just pretty much copy and paste. Just I took this from Barclay. Yeah. I mean, in some, some areas, it's pretty word for word. <laughs> uh, <laughs> cop, copy and paste job. But no, uh, some background. And really, to me, the Rob Bell book, it wasn't outlandish. It was just a, it's a background commentary. Mm. It's a really good one. Um, he does a good job. Um, oh man, I better be careful. Did I just endorse his book? I don't think you're telling people to buy the book or that you believe in everything that he says. You're just saying in this particular area, he had some interesting thoughts. I don't want to get in trouble again. He's got some interesting points. There's some good vantage points in there. Um, but yeah, understanding historical context makes all the difference. It really does bring the Bible to life. You talk about Jonah and the whale and the Ninevites and how evil they were. Um, But to the Ninevites, their god was a fish or a whale. Did you know that? Mm -mm, I did not know that. So the reason they were so eager to listen to Jonah is because their god came out of the water and spit him onto the land. (laughs) (laughs) So it was really like, uh, we read that through the lens of our god loves those people and wants them saved and what that really means. And that is insane because mm-hmm. other gods would want those people dead. Right. But this God wants to extend love and grace to the people that we even hate. And what does that mean for us? How do we interpret that? But to the Ninevites, their God just spit a man out onto the land. And the man says, uh, pretty much repent or perish. I mean, his little eight word sermon. Yeah. Uh, and they're blown away by it because their God is speaking to them, but their God is almost like their God delivered a new God. <laughs> it's just, it's just interesting um, reading, reading the background, what's going on in just different situations. One of the things that it was something that you actually said as a, as a, I don't know if you said it as a theory or it, this is just conjecture or anything, but you, you said, one time, how back in the day, the Jews would memorize scripture through song. 
Yeah. And, and it's a lot easier to memorize large oh, sections yeah. of, of scripture if you put a melody to it. And how when Jesus is up on the is Jesus is on the cross saying, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And he they start thinking about what was it? Psalm I think it's twenty two. Psalm twenty two and Psalm yeah. Exact twenty two and twenty four or something like that. And how basically potentially it would, it would have been a Sunday school song for them. It would yeah. have been like Father Abraham had many sons, but their psalm started, "My God, My God, why have you forsaken me?" And then you read that psalm, and it it can't be twenty two. What is it? Dang it! I don't know. I don't want to look it up. <laughs> but anyway, so uh, like, but this psalm, like you start reading it, it starts, "My God, My God, why have you forsaken me?" And then it goes into the picture of a man dying in excruciating pain where soldiers cast their lots. Um, It is telling the whole thing on the cross, written 2,000 years ago. And as they're seeing Jesus on the cross, and he's saying, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? They start, it's just like hitting play on this this psalm in their head, the Sunday school little song they learn, but they start looking around. And the song starts matching up with what is happening. And then they realize, oh my gosh, what are we doing here? <laughs> For me, it was a really awesome... And it, it does. It very much brings, brings the Bible to life. So one of the things for me was the brook Kidron. It's just this little brook that Jesus crosses over in order to get to the Garden of Gethsemane where he goes and prays before he's arrested. Right? Mm-hmm. Historically, historians found that there was a waterworks that they that would drain into the into the brook of Kidron, and on the night of the Passover, they would use that water system in order to clean the blood from all the lambs that they slaughtered, and it would go down this little water thing and drain into the brook of Kidron, hmm. and that's what's going on the night Jesus is walking over the brook. All this the blood in the water of all these lambs as he's walking over. And I think this is just conjecture, right? I don't mm-hmm. know if this is why John wrote it that way, because it's in John 18. I think that's why John added that into the text. And Jesus is walking over the brook of Kidron. Yeah. And, and that would have been a historical, like, whoa, that, all these lambs are being slaughtered, and here is the Lamb of God about ready to be slaughtered for the sins of the world. That's something that Rob Bell pointed out in his book that um, I really appreciated. Um, you appreciate something Rob Bell said? I know it. He, um, he says, one of the questions you ask yourself as you're reading is, why is this here? Mm. Why is this in here? Why did this story survive? Why did it make it? Paper is at a premium. <laughs> uh, ink is at a premium. Out of everything you could tell, I mean, everything you could say, why... Why did this story make it? And it's everything has some significance. Yeah. Um, so basically, when we're looking at interpreting the Bible, it has one meaning. Ooh. It only has one meaning. You think so? Yes. There's some people, it's multiple meanings depending on the situation. That's what I've heard. I don't know if I necessarily agree with that, but I'm just saying. Here's what I think. 
Well, not what I think. It's also what I've been taught, but it's also what helps me. When I start to try to interpret the Bible, I'll start with one meaning. What did the original author try to communicate to his original audience? Mm. So if it's a letter, if it's a gospel, if it's an Old Testament history book, what are they trying, what are those people trying to communicate to their audience? And that's where you start. That's where you begin. That's where you look at the background history. You look at the context of what's happening. What was Paul trying to say to the church at Corinth? What was the original message? It has one meaning. He was trying to get one point specifically across to them. What was that point? And once we understand that, that's when we can start really digging into applications and how it applies to us. So maybe it's one meeting, but multiple applications per se. Yeah. Because I've used, I've used a Bible text. I've, I couldn't tell you how many times I've used Matthew 11. So the story about John getting arrested, John is in prison talking about, is Jesus really the Christ? I've used that as instances for when you're doubting your faith. I've used that for instances when it's okay to not be okay. Uh, sermons like that. So yeah, go ahead. Sorry. No. Just a thought. Yeah. One meaning, but multiple applications for that meaning. Yeah, you can definitely pull out multiple applications, but what was he trying to communicate to his original audience? Another thing to keep in mind, too, is the structure Mm. of what's being written. Uh, We have it broken down into nice verses, Um, English sentences. It was, you know, written in different languages. Uh, Chapter breaks are from the devil. (laughs) They, some of them are they, like put in really bad spots. They can be helpful, but they also sometimes land right in the middle of a Greek sentence. Like Paul's got like one continuous thought, one sentence. I think it's the beginning of Ephesians, like a, the first like. Pretty much all of Ephesians is a run-on sentence. Yeah, it's one gigantic sentence in the Greek, um, but but for us it's like fifteen verses. Yeah. So, I mean, verses and chapters, not inspired. That's right. what our, our pastor always says. Um, but then, was it a letter? Were they, Is it a poem? Were, was it a poem? Yeah. Is it a history? Yeah. You know, how was the author writing, writing it? Was it supposed to be interpreted literally? Is he speaking figuratively? Was Jesus making a joke? Yeah, Paul quotes a lot of cultural text, and he uses those cultural texts right in pointing to Jesus. But he's, he's taking what's theirs, and he's, he's showing you a better way. We don't understand that. We don't understand that when he says certain things, he's quoting pop culture of the time, more or less. Jesus did that too. There was a couple instances in the New Testament where he, he it, it doesn't make any sense unless you actually read or know the history of what's going on behind it. But anyway, so you brought up structure. What else? Details. Details. Word studies. You brought, you brought that up with the doulas. Uh, individual words are important. Uh, our English language doesn't do justice to... Heck no. It, does, it doesn't do justice to the original languages the Bible was written in. Love. What's it mean? There's like seven different words for love in the Greek language. Yeah. So like, which one was it? They're more pinpointed. Was They're it more... phileo, agape? Who knows? Yeah. 
I don't know. Yeah, we well, we don't. It makes us drive off context, but it's um, individual word studies are important because hmm. it could it could determine the meaning. It really could. Like so, for me, my the big one. I may have said this on the podcast before, but when when it says that in the beginning the word was with God in John one, that's the the phrase is proston theon. That's the Greek phrase, and it means so much more than just the word was with God. I mean, I'll break it down very simply. It's it's like a paragraph meaning, but to break it down and to summarize it, the word was face to face with God, mm-hmm. and that they had a relationship. And it makes it makes that passage much more meaningful than just yeah. the word was with God. Yeah. And then just move along. Like it's like when it's we read heavy. our Bible, we're reading it in black and white, and then understanding some of this brings it to color. It's just like the Wizard of Oz. Fuzzy to HD. <laughs> it's the Wizard of Oz, baby. Black and white to start and then color. But all those different things, the context, the structure, the details drive it to a meaning. Mm-hmm. They help us understand what was the original author trying to say to his original audience. Um, it's something we learned in our pastor's academy. Uh, it's something Rob Bell points out. But I think it's extremely important to approach the text from that lens. Outside of, it's almost like you got to shut off your brain and what you know, what you think, and just approach it from a fresh perspective. Right. That's something... I had to do when I was deconstructing myself out of our musical instruments authorized in worship. I had to shut off all these filters to really read. It was really challenging for me to change my opinions about baptism. Is baptism essential for salvation? Man, I got to reread a lot of verses to get there. Absolutely. But maybe we'll stop there and just keep this a shorter episode for now. We've left you with enough. Yeah, those are some good areas to get started. Maybe find yourself a good commentary. Like if you if you really want to study this thing, or there's there's even Bibles with the little commentaries at the bottom. Like I love my ESV Study Bible. It's not a hundred percent great, but there there is a lot of the the thing I like about that particular Study Bible, not the John MacArthur ESV Study Bible, just the the regular one that Zondervan. Crossway. It's Crossway. Crossway. Crossway has the copyright on the ESV. It starts out every chapter with the historical context and yeah. and also what's going on in history at this time, not necessarily pertaining to the text, but just what's going on in the Roman Empire at at this point in history, because it's a New Testament. Yeah, it's extremely enlightening. So just off the top of my head, William Barclay, N.T. Wright. Um, oh, N.T. Wright, dude. Um, IVP background Bible commentary are a handful. I've, I've had a lot more. Um, I, one of our pastor friends always says, get yourself a good map. <laughs> Maps are helpful. They really are. You can get, you can find yourself a good map and really, um, a, a solid background commentary and a map is, uh, maybe a word study. Yeah, we're vines or yeah, strongs or something. Strongs concordance. Um, just help you. Not that they're those any of those are the end all be all, but they're very helpful in getting started. And I really enjoy digging uh, a little deeper, if you will, and I, not that like resource intensive. You can find all this crap online too. Right. I really enjoy, and it's on Netflix right now. Uh, the Last Crusade, Indiana Jones. That oh, gives yeah. a lot of context. 
because who would have known that the Holy Grail was the carpenter's cup and was the little itty bitty cup? Yeah, you need you to have chose that content. Poorly. <laughs> <laughs> what is happening to me? <laughs> you got to know that context. You got to pick the right cup, and yeah. that's really what it comes down to. The cup of the carpenter was the little minuscule. You cup. picked the wrong cup. Wrath, death. <laughs> but you picked the right cup. Eternal life. Life. And it's like you're pouring hydrogen peroxide on that gunshot wound on on Sean Connery. <laughs> it just vanishes. <laughs> anyway, Jason, we're get, we have to wrap up this episode. But uh, people can find us on the social medias. Instagram, yep. Facebook, Twitter. We're on those three right now. We haven't set up a Gab account yet because we're probably not going to get into it. We'll see. No, we'll see how no. famous it gets. Probably, <sighs> probably not. But we are also... We, you can leave us a review on the Apple iTunes app. We appreciate your reviews because guess what? That gets us out to more listeners. More people are going to find us. Uh, we're like currently number like six whenever you type not your. <laughs> <laughs> we're getting there. We're getting there. But uh, so we're number six right now in that perspective. So uh, leave us a five-star review. Leave a comment and we have to read your your comments. Yeah, I have to read them. So write whatever you want in the comment section. Just leave us a five star review. And then also, if you want to support us with your hard earned money, if you want to tithe to Not Your Pastors podcast, mm-hmm. uh, helps keeps the lights on, helps keep uh, Jason and I uh, getting the gear that we need to keep bringing you this awesome content. Sure does. So Jason, in the in light of this episode on how do we interpret the scripture, context is important. What is maybe something that you can leave with the people before your boiler turns on? I know it. It's going to get loud down here. <laughs> what is something that you can leave? Maybe like a good jumping off point for people to when they're reading, their, reading the scripture. Well, it's easy to get discouraged uh, when you're reading your Bible. It's mm-hmm. um, a lot going on. It seems kind of overwhelming. But was there one a last study tool that I use... Um, I use it a lot, and it's very helpful. When I am feeling like I don't understand or it's frustrated, and some people would say pray. Um, that's one too, but I got something better. Always <laughs> oh, keep your stick on the ice. <laughs> Bye, everybody. Hey, thanks for spending some time with Alex and I today. It really does mean the world to us. If you'd like to reach out to us or participate in a future podcast, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter or at notyourpastorspodcast at gmail.com. Subscribe to us on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, or your favorite podcast app to catch future shows. Until then, toodles.